0: Welcome to the DST Podcast, where we discuss issues that are relevant in our Indian context from both a theological and a practical perspective. Here are your hosts for today, Arvind and Ranjit. Welcome uh, to our listeners. Uh, We are glad you could join us uh, for this episode on faith and work. Uh, Today we have a special guest and I'll be introducing our guest a little later, but I have uh, our co-host Arvind uh, joining us this morning. Arvind is a pastor uh, in the Delhi Bible Fellowship Church in Gurgaon. Arvind, you work a lot with professionals. Gurgaon is emerging as the startup capital of India uh, and uh, competing a lot with Bangalore. Uh, uh, why is this topic important for you? What is your sense about this?
1: Yeah, thank you. It's good to be talking about this topic. You know, apart from Gurgaon and startup capital and all those kinds of things, you know, work is is just a massive aspect of our lives. Every one of us works, uh, whether you're an engineer, teacher, student, housewife, or whatever else it might be. It's just a a huge part of what we do every day. And so, yeah, I think there's not not a lot of teaching very often in the church on work and why we work and how we should work and and all those kinds of things. So yeah, I think, I think it's an important uh, thing to talk about theologically, practically, and that's what we're hoping to do today.
0: Good. I'm looking forward to this. And we have a special guest, uh, Adi Praturi. Uh, Adi is a content uh, development consultant and a content strategist uh, with Breakwater Labs. It's a creative agency that curates Uh, learning experiences and curriculum design and communication for various clients. Uh, His role also involves helping leaders and organizations uh, think through their uh, content strategy and their needs. Uh, Adi grew up in the U.S. and graduated from uh, UC San Diego, where he studied both economics and industrial uh, international relations. He currently lives in Mumbai with his wife, Erika. Adi, welcome. Good to have you with us. Thanks for having me.
2: I I like how you added an adjective to that degree, industrial international relations.
0: That's (laughs) (laughs) That's fun. That sounds like a good degree to have. (laughs) Yeah. We just gave you another degree. I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll take it. (laughs) Yeah. So, Ari, you're quite involved with professionals, uh, equipping them, empowering them, really helping them think through... uh, uh, their role in the marketplace, what drew you to something like this? Why, why is this uh, something exciting for you? Um, it's a good question. I actually stumbled
2: into Faith and Work. It's not something that I really set, you know, set out trying to do. Um, I think you know we just had a lot of entrepreneurs in our community, and it was born out of that need to kind of be able to speak theologically and meaningfully to what entrepreneurs were doing in our community, and then, you know, out of that, we began to really work on some faith and work issues with all sorts of professionals and entrepreneurs. And I think what really got me going with this is, you know, just, it, it was a, it's a very simple message, which is just like your work matters to God, right? It's, it's, it's as simple as that. And the way that people just respond to, even as simple as say, like their eyes brighten up, they get really like, what god cares about my everyday work from monday to saturday and i think it's that feeling that response that i normally get from people like that makes that keeps me going you know so i think that's uh that's something really special when people like realize that their work matters and i think that's something that i want people to realize more and more
0: absolutely that's great and uh, uh currently uh The entire work industry all over the world and also in India is going through uh, what people call the great resignation and it's impacting the workplace in a massive way. A recent survey uh, says that around 63% uh, of the participants who took the survey uh, said they would rather uh, be unemployed than be unhappy in the job. So this idea of wanting to be happy at workplace and finding meaning is such a core part of uh, who we are in this generation. Uh, There's another statistic that says how the attrition rate is more than 20% this year. Uh, And uh, the top reasons why people leave their jobs are toxic company culture. That's like 62% of the participants said that low salary, 59%. uh, Lack of healthy work-life balance, that's 49%. That's almost half the participants. Uh, So all these are key issues right now. Uh, Why is why is work so hard why is it so difficult why is it so challenging yeah um
2: that's an awesome question and i think you know just to add to the statistics that you were reading like it it, what makes india even more unique than other countries is that you also have surplus labor right so you you also have a market that is super saturated like i think about the space that i'm in like content creation right and in a city like mumbai Everyone's a writer, like everyone's just sitting at Starbucks writing something. I don't, I'm not sure what they're writing, but just everyone's writing something, and everyone's in the content industry. and It's definitely a saturated market, right? It's hard to make your name, and I think that makes people disillusioned. And you know, like, I think there's all these macroeconomic challenges that add to just even the day to day struggles, you know. And I think what you're saying with the day to day struggles was absolutely right. Like, I was talking to you know, uh, two friends yesterday uh, in the afternoon and, you know, one of them works in the marketing industry, the other works in the finance industry, and they were talking, both of them work 12-hour days, right? They start their day at 9 a.m., they finish their day at around 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. One of my mother-in-law's neighbors once did a shift that was 36 hours long. She works for a bank, you know? And the reality is that, you know, these 12-hour days are often used quite inefficiently. And there's a lot of inefficiency during those hours, right? People are not actually working those 12 hours as efficiently as they can. So managers think, okay, the way to deal with the inefficiencies is just to ask people to give more hours. So it just becomes this vicious cycle, you know, this constant uh, cycle of just... But I think to, to get to this question of why, right? Like, at least from a biblical perspective, why is work this way? Well, I think part of it comes from our own separation from God's good design for work. I mean, God had a design for work and I'm sure, you know, we'll talk about that in a bit, um, but I think why work is so, or the feeling of work is so messed up is it, it, it's, it's a result of human rebellion against that design. It's this human tendency to want to determine what is right and wrong ourselves apart from God. It's this very self-centered approach that leads us into trouble, right? And as a result of that rebellion, we begin to experience a lot of this alienation. We experience alienation, separation from God, from other people, from creation, and certainly from even in our vocation, even in our job. I mean, it's a product of the curse, right? This is Genesis 3. Like it says very clearly, cursed is the ground because of you, you know, through painful toil, you'll eat food from it. Um, It will produce thorns and thistles for you. So i think that's the experience of work that we have right thorns and thistles is a good description of the kind of hardships that we experience at work and it's it's what's sad is that the very people that you often want to love and serve are the ones that will resist you so we enter the workplace wanting to be this blessing to our colleagues like nobody is waking up this morning and thinking how can i make life harder for other people Right. I mean, maybe but I, I doubt that people, people mostly wake up in the morning thinking, how can I survive the day and how can I not be like uh, inconvenienced to other people while I'm surviving? You know, that's most people. <laughs> but we still like end up, you know, um, really being hurt and getting hurt. Right. So supervisors take credit for our work. That's thorns and thistles. Kids are not behaving in the classrooms. You know, if you're a teacher. Thorns and thistles. Husbands are not doing their fair share around the house. You know, like uh, you spend all day writing hundreds of lines of code, and then it's chock full of errors at the end of the day. Or you spend all day serving people in the church. You're preparing for this event, and then no one shows up. Or you work on a pharmaceutical product. You go through R and B for five years, and then you know, like the the drug is rejected at human trials. So this is just the experience of thorns and thistles in our life. And I think that's just, part of it is just, you know, part of it comes out of our human rebellion, our tendency to sin. Part of it is just the natural problems of this world. It's just the brokenness of the world around us. But I think what compounds the problem is that rather than going to God to engage with these thorns and thistles, we look for alternative routes. And we turn to other sources. We turn to heart idols, right? So we think to ourselves, if only I had more power in the office. If only I had more power, I could deal with these thorns in my workplace. If only I had more comfort, more hours to myself to binge Netflix and play video games, I could deal with these thorns. If only I had more approval and people loved me more, I could deal with these thorns. If only I had more control over the operations control over the process control over the company i could deal with these thorns so rather than going to god to really engage with the thorns we're we're seeking like these power we're seeking power or control or approval or comfort um, to deal with these thorns and you know that just makes the problem worse so let's say like you know like you you're in an office um, and work is not going your way. So what do you do? You 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 rule with an iron fist, and everyone is so happy when you rule with an iron fist. Everyone loves that, right? Like no, not at all. Like it just ends up creating a toxic work environment, which leads to more thorns. And to deal with those thorns, you want more control, more of the iron fist. So it just becomes this vicious cycle, and just keeps getting worse and worse. And that's just the condition of work right now. Yeah you know, yeah, so in,
0: podcast in, over. <laughs> we, <we've>, uh, <laughs> Describe the problem well. Uh, and I think I think what you're saying is in some way, we also uh, use work for something else, right? And we don't work for the sake of work itself. And, uh, and that's part of the thorns and thistles, right? So we want more power. So we use yeah, work to yeah. gain more power. We yeah. use work to gain right. more comforts and more success. And Uh, So in that way, we begin to use not only work, I think we also begin to use people, right? And we want to get ahead of people. Uh, We resent when they are in our way. Uh, We want to use people for our own means. So uh, Mm -hmm. uh, like in Genesis 11, it says we want to make a name for ourselves. And you see all Mm -hmm. of those uh, breakdown, not just in the work, but also relationally, these things are happening.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like I think Genesis 11 is a great example, right? Like you have this experience of brokenness. People want to solve this brokenness, but rather than turning to their creator, they turn to their ingenuity. You know, there's nothing wrong with creativity, right? There's nothing wrong with building, um, but it's the heart behind why they wanted to build that tower. They wanted that power. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to ascend to God's level. Um, And I think that just compounds more and more issues. It just becomes horrifying, you know?
0: Arvid, what do you think? Uh, ministry uh, is completely uh, different. Uh, uh, I know we are talking about secular work. Uh, uh, is ministry uh, any different or working in a church? And uh, do you see thorns and thistles in ministry or ministry is something uh, that is uh, nice and fun and exciting?
1: It's always fruitful all the time. And I've never experienced what Adi was talking about, organizing an event and nobody showing up. No, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, yeah, I think everything that uh, has been said so far applies, uh, including trying to make a name for yourself and, um, yeah, basically using, in this case, ministry as a means to something else, uh, all of the frustration, all of the relational issues, and, um, yeah, all those things. So I think, yeah, everything that you've said so far, Addie, is completely applicable to ministry or I, I assume any any kind of work even studies or uh, working at home and so on yeah yeah yeah
0: so let's uh, let's kind of pivot and uh, we we see the frustration at work we see the challenges and uh, uh, both of the work itself and uh, relationally uh, but w- but what is God's design for work and most times we uh, think work is something that is uh, uh, we don't want to work We're always thinking about uh, our vacation where we can run away from work. We're always thinking about uh, retiring early. So we have this kind of a, a weird relationship with work. But what is God's purpose for work? What do you think? Yeah. So,
2: you know, that's a very important question to answer. And I think we need to all take time to answer, like really wrestle with that. Because here's the good news, like right off the bat, your work matters. It matters. And not just you know, like uh, like not just work you do for your church, you know not I mean, not just the work of evangelism or prayer, or like what we would typically call spiritual work, right, but the everyday work that we do. So if you're a lawyer, writing legal briefs matters to God. If you are an admin, data entry matters to God. And if you're an investor, the way you invest and how you think about the companies you invest in matters to God. And I think there's several reasons why it matters to God. So reason 1, I think it's because work is ultimately God's idea. Right? So Genesis 2 um I think it's verse 15 it says that you know the Lord God took man and put him in the garden to work to till the ground and to keep it to work the ground and to you know, to conserve it. And so right off the bat, we see this element of work and stewardship already from day one, well, or day six, you know, like te- technically. And that word work in the Hebrew actually has very close ties to the word worship and the work that the priests would do in the earthly tabernacle. So they're already from Eden, these deep interconnections between the the real manual work we do and one's worship rendered to God it speaks to the fact that it's all inherent part of our design right we were never meant to compartmentalize these aspects of our life and which leads me to reason too that we were ultimately called to create you know in genesis 1 verse 28 like this is what we normally like call the cultural mandate or the creation mandate it says god says be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it now that's like really interesting because if you think about i mean just do a thought experiment right guys like eden Eden is like this small geographical area somewhere in the ancient Near East. And God's saying, Take this Eden and fill the earth. Take Eden to the ends of the earth. And, like, what would you need to take Eden to the ends of the earth? Like, what kinds of jobs would you need to do that, right? Like, you would certainly need people to explore. You would need people to pioneer. You would need people to settle in these new cities. And you would need to learn some form of cultivation, some form of agriculture. Some form of governance, because some people actually have to stay behind and manage what's, you know, like, like not everyone can be pioneers. Some people have to stay behind and manage, you know, uh, the what's already been cultivated. And then there's some form of communication. There's some form of economics and trade. You'll need teachers to teach the next generation. So you'll definitely like vocation is part of God's good design humans were meant to create and i mean i think that's what culture is by the way like culture is what humans make of god's good creation you know whether for better or for worse we are all of us culture creators and i think part of that is also that what we were um what why work matters to god is what we create is meant to be a blessing to the world Right, the products we create, the services we offer, the brands we manage, the business models we apply—all of these are meant to be blessings to the world. So God cares about these things because I think through them we can either bless the world or we can be perpetuating the curse. Right. So I think that's at least three reasons, like, why your work matters. It's, it's God's idea. We're called to create, and what we create is meant to really be a blessing to the world. Um, it's what makes the world better you know we can make the world better or we can make the world worse off so like learn really being aware of what we're doing to our work matters you know
0: yeah I heard I heard this uh, uh, statement once which uh, and I'm gonna just paraphrase and make it up right now but uh, it says uh, uh, how a work done well is is an answer to prayer right and and how does God answer people's prayers in this world I mean it could be anybody, not just uh, believers it could be anybody. Uh, a a widow who is going to the bank and she wants uh, uh, some help in terms of a loan, how is her prayer answered? How is her longing fulfilled? Uh, It is uh, when uh, somebody does their work well, right? And they care for her and they actually do their work meticulously and uh, do the paperwork fast and help her with the thing. So in some way, work, uh, when we do our work well, it it is a way for God to answer prayers. It's a way for God to bless other people. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Arvind? What are your any questions or thoughts that you have on this? Why why did God create work? Why does it matter?
1: Yeah, I think um, I, th- I think we might be getting into this, but just the the whole earth is to glorify God. You know, we're to yeah. uh, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and. Uh, The whole earth is to resound to the glory of of God. It's such a, you know, beautiful, holistic, huge vision that that God gives when he creates the world. So, yeah, certainly that's uh, much, much more than just Sunday morning or just um, evangelism or ministry. So, yeah, quite a a spectacular uh, vision that God gives to Adam and Eve uh, when they're just two little people on this massive planet and uh yeah but it, it certainly involves our work as adis saying
0: all right one of, one of the one of the uh, issues we uh, see uh, especially among believers in the church and it is also reflecting in the culture uh, is this uh, divide between what is secular and sacred right there's always this uh, uh, this dualism uh, so we uh, sometimes don't fully understand and because of what we've talked about we don't fully understand what god's purposes for our work from monday to friday or monday to saturday uh and we want to run away from that and we want to prioritize work in the church or in ministry and we feel like that is more fulfilling and satisfying so uh so there is this uh, pull between both these things and some people who work uh, uh in the secular place and they feel guilty sometimes and they want to feel like this is better uh what what do, you, what do you think? why is that? Why are we struggling with that kind of a dualism in, in, uh, in our understanding?
2: Yeah I, I love this. So, so our our friend Alan in the mahadevan you know whenever he does a faith and work module he he uses these two questions and I'm sure you guys have heard it and it's, I, I, I've unashamedly copied him but he tends to ask leaders in the church these two questions. He says, one, how many of you get upset when people don't come to prayer meetings, Sunday services or church events? And generally, like, everybody raises their hand, right? And then, boom, he hits them with the next question, which is, how many of you get upset when people go late to work, underperform at work because of procrastination, or don't pay due honor to their supervisors? Not a hand raised, right? <laughs> and it reveals something. I think it reveals that as leaders, we think that there are things that are more important to God than other things, I think the sacred-secular divide is one of the more unfortunate te- teachings that can like seep into the church because it's this thinking that, you know, somehow spiritual things are more important than material things. And that, you know, like and the spiritual is more important than the material. But the Bible actually resists this, right? The Bible actually says, well, no, the spiritual and the material are bound together. In fact, Paul takes so much time to actually say, we're going to have a physical body when we, when we resurrect, right? So I think it comes from this difficulty of believing that every square inch on this planet belongs to Jesus and including our work in our entire life, right? He's not just sovereign over our churches, but over our homes, our families and our workplaces. So I think we really need to shift our paradigm that all of this is under Jesus's sovereignty. And I think if. If we think like this, it's going to change how a new generation thinks about work, right? Like, I would love to see pastors asking professionals, like, have you been going to your meetings on time? How is it going at work? What kinds of products are you creating, right? Are you blessing the world to the services your company offers? And not just professionals, you know, I'd love to see parents talking to their kids about their schoolwork. You know, like we have a tendency to point out witchcraft and wizardry in Hogwarts and like in Harry Potter and we're like, oh, that's bad. But, and you know, maybe those discussions need to be had with your kids, sure. But I'd also love to have parents talk to their kids about like how geometry and algebra points to God's mysteries, Mm -hmm. how botany and physics and chemistry points to his design, how history and economics points to his sovereignty in the world, how arts and literature points to his creativity. So I think that's the attitude we need to have—that God is over sovereign over every aspect of life, um, and it becomes an opportunity to really engage with God to reveal God as a blessing to the world. You know, yeah.
0: yeah. Hmm. And I think that there's another divide also, right? And not just the secular-sacred secular divide, but what I call the income divide. Hmm. Uh, yeah, typically in India, we uh, love jobs that pay more. It doesn't matter whether we are gifted for it, whether we are called for it. Uh, we want, uh, we kind of pro- prioritize jobs, especially the engineering and the programming and the software uh, or the MBAs. So we gravitate towards work that is paying more. And, and sometimes we uh, we really don't understand uh, the work at home. And sometimes even uh, uh, pr- predominantly women who stay home and take care of the home and uh, they feel they are not really uh, productive. They are not really contributing uh, what do you what do you think about that i mean again there is another divide here which is very subtle what do you think
2: yeah gosh let's let's fix this in two minutes um <laughs> like i think the i mean it's it's uh you know the sociologists will say our our tendency to make vocation like we we're, we're, we're hierarchical creatures right we tend to think in hierarchy we want to naturally form hierarchies of i'm better this person we want to sort of Try to find our place in that hierarchy. But I think a more compelling answer is coming back to those thorns and thistles, right? Like, we, to deal with the thorns, we want more money. If only I had more money, if only I had more status, if only I had more power, if only I had more, you know, fill in the blank, then people would not abuse me. Then I would, ha- I can deal with these thorns. Then I wouldn't have to worry about you know, this income divide, right? Like, I think the more I have, if I had more blank, um, I'll be fine. Um, And I think that just creates this weird perspective. It creates a really harmful perspective that I think is what you're saying. It creates a harmful perspective in the home that your worth and value becomes tied to the income you're providing, the work you're doing. So like, washing the dishes is beneath you, um, but like, you know, leading a company is what real leaders do. Like, you know, and I don't think God makes these kinds of distinctions. So honestly, like, I think very practically speaking, I think if we're in a position of power, you know, either because of wealth or position, we really need to be thinking about what sacrifice looks like. And not just in a humanistic way, right? It's not just, oh, I'll take less of a paycheck so that you can, like, I mean, that's good. Maybe some of us need to be thinking like that. But I think it's really asking this question how am I willing to give of myself so that every member of my team or organization or household can flourish you know Christ who did not who's in every way equal to God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped he he emptied himself right and so he he's like him we're trying to ask this question how can I give of myself so that others can flourish both in my household and in my workplace, you know? And I think if you're not in a position of power, I think there's something, a reality to acknowledge here. You know, Paul addresses slaves in scripture. I mean, sometimes the workforce, like working here can feel like that, you know, Roman slavery. Um, But I love that Paul is at no point romanticizing slavery, right? He implicitly, he acknowledges the hardship behind it. He acknowledges the brokenness, the cruelty of slavery, but what you do see scripture doing is reminding people with little to no agency that the CEO, the boss, does not get the final word, right? Your manager does not get the final word over your life. Um, and so there's this reorientation to God who is the one who actually gets the final word. And so then in that sense, we can, to the extent that we can, leverage our influence, positively influence our supervisor. We can lead our bosses, you know, um, by encouraging them, by kind of um, in leveraging whatever influence or friendship that we have, um, we can modestly change culture. You know, even among our coworkers. You know, by at least building trust and vulnerability at that level. So that's kind of a, so. If you're in a position of power, you're asking, "How can I give of myself so that others can flourish?" Mm-hmm. Um, or if, in this stage of life, you're not in a, what you would consider a position of power, we can reorient our imagination to God. And still try to be a blessing you know, to our yeah. others.
0: Yeah. And that yeah. I think that happens at work and in all our relationships. I mean, for example, marriage. Uh, you do the work of marriage. And uh, the same way uh, that you uh, give up yourself for the sake of the other, you do that in the marriage as part of the work of building your marriage. And uh, you do that in parenting. Uh, constantly working with children, giving up of yourself for, yep. for their sake. And uh, you see the creation mandate in all of these things where you're Uh, making them fruitful and multiplying their gifts and being a steward of what God has given us. Uh, You do this in cooking. I mean, you're able to make it fruitful and multiply. And you see all of the creation mandate and all of this attitude towards work is actually both at home and in the secular workplace. So there is no divide in terms of God. God is not looking at who's making more money. And uh, in fact, our satisfaction at work comes, whether we, it doesn't matter how much money we make, some satisfaction comes just by the work itself, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, I was just listening to uh, something and it was talking about a, a mega church pastor and he, you know, I don't know, thousands of people, really successful, doing a lot for, uh, in the ministry and so on. And then his wife uh, got this debilitating disease or illness and she was bedridden, uh, I think, for about 20, 25 years and he, he left his job. And took care of her, uh, you know, sacrificially, and all those kinds of things for the a huge part of his his the the you know the last few years of his life, last few decades, in fact, of his life. And some people would consider that a tragedy, uh, or you know, something like a waste. And yet, I think that uh, I was just thinking, God must be so pleased uh, that He's yeah. He's serving in in this way without pay, without recognition, um, but well done,
0: good and faithful servant.
1: Mm. That's
0: awesome. Absolutely. So uh, Adi, just to let you know, we did a survey among our uh, Delhi School of Theology uh, students and uh, we uh, asked them about questions they'd like to ask. And uh, believe it or not, one of the top questions that kept coming again and again is how do we deal with and how do we navigate unethical work environments unethical practices at work uh and especially in india i think india is uh, come to uh, a good place i mean we're still growing in a lot of ways uh, i think uh, a lot of things are standardized and it's become online and so there's uh, l- less room for corruption but oh, it is still there so how, uh, so how do people uh, as a believer navigate some of these workplace situations which is unethical what do you what do you think oh Good. I thought the last, since you asked such an easy question last one, you know, oh gosh.
2: Um, okay. Let's, well, okay. Let's just be clear. You know, there are some things that are just like illegal. Like, I don't know if you're selling cocaine, like I think you should stop. <laughs> like, let's just be clear. Like that's not what we're talking about, you know? Um, but I think just with unethical issues. Okay. So there's at least three ways you can respond. Right. Right. So the first is this black and white approach, which is that like an action that you do, it's always right or always wrong, no matter what. So it doesn't matter if you saved a thousand lives, if you had to lie to do it, then the lie itself is wrong, right? Or then you have the ends justify the means approach. So the actions that lead to the best outcome is generally the most ethical. So between saving one life and saving a thousand, the most ethical action is what? Saving a thousand. So whatever is for the greater good, you know, and then there's this whole it depends on your motivation approach. So what's in your heart? So if Oscar Schindler is paying hundreds of bribes to save Jewish lives in the Holocaust, clearly his motivation is right, right? Like if Rahab is lying to save two spies in her house in the book of Joshua, and that's credited to her as heroism then clearly the Bible's not taking a black and white approach with her, right? Like it's it's ascribing something to her motivation. So I think the reality is you have to discern which approach works for which situation, right? I think that's the reality. Like here's an example. One time I was working, uh, I I had to make a rather large purchase for uh, a Christian organization I was working with. And the vendor said to me, if I pay in cash, then I don't have to pay the GST. Now, the organization I was working with was Christian, and they wanted me to pay in cash. And I wasn't comfortable with it because I was like, I think we're contributing to a broken system. I'm not rendering what is Caesar- to Caesar what is Caesar's. Um, for them, it wasn't so black and white because at the time, the law itself was unclear. And the, they had a more ends justify the means approach because it was likely that the money that would have gone there would be going to justice and mercy work. You know, so like they weren't just saving it to like line their own pockets. They were, they wanted to save it so that they could fund the work that they were doing. Um, So to this day, honestly, I'm more convinced the black and white approach was probably appropriate for that situation. But I also see their point. You know, like I, I get it. And I think generally we should aspire to be as truthful as we can. If you manage a brand, avoid exaggerating what your brand can do. If you work in consulting, don't exaggerate the data. If you work in finances, don't participate in insider trading. Like these are pretty cut and dry. Uh, but I think you know in our faith and work class, we we talk about like this four-step process, and the step one is like really learning to respond with love, like understand that everyone is broken, the whole situation is broken, you're broken, the person causing you the angst is broken. So like try to enter the situation with love and then interpret the situation in love. Like ask what is the most fitting response in this situation and don't just try to answer that question alone, right? So that's step three, bring community into this. I have four or five guys that I bring into these conserva- conversations. I listen to their whole counsel before I make a decision. And then once in a while, step four, I have to confront the other person in love. And there's a risk that comes with that but there are times you can't afford to be silent, you know, and you really have to have wisdom because there are times when you need to like wait. Um, and there's a time to speak up and knowing the difference between the two is wisdom. Right. But hey, I, I, this is a big conversation, you know, like we have an entire module. We talk about this for two, three hours in the faith and work course. So, you know, I can direct people there, but I think it's a, it's a, it's an important question. Um, but I hope I did some justice to it.
0: Um, no, I, you know? I, I like your point about uh, bringing community in, right? And a lot of times yeah. we sometimes struggle with some of these issues alone and we feel like the whole world is against us and we don't know what is the right thing to do. And sometimes we feel like we are messing up. Uh, and this is where God has given us much wisdom in the community. God has given us other professionals and God has given us teachers and uh, people in mm-hmm. the community who can encourage us, be with us, pray for us, um, and even guide us to some extent to kind of help us see this issue, right? And so I think... Uh, that point is also very important, right? So that we are not called to just live our own life in the secular place, but we have a community of God, community of faith that is uh, able to guide us in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, Arvind, there, there any...
1: any also, a, yeah, go, yeah, go ahead. We think that, uh, you know, as a pastor or even others in the faith community, in the church, that, you know, when people come with genuine questions, we shouldn't just, uh, you know, assume they're bad Christians or something like that or take a black and white uh, Mm -hmm. approach automatically uh, but to you know really genuinely hear because so you know many issues are very complicated and I, i think that the professionals or working uh people in our in our faith communities tend to be a little bit reluctant to bring these up uh even as questions because um yeah they'll just be shut down or give a simplistic given a simplistic answer or something like that so yeah, I think that's also really, really helpful, uh, the community aspect of it. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Um, another question that uh, was a big question was the the whole idea of work-life balance. And I think people in India especially struggle with that. Uh, you see people working through the night. You see people working in the weekends, uh, people not able to come to church. And there's all kinds of challenges when it comes to work-life balance. Uh, when somebody comes and tells you they are so busy at work, uh, apart from the fact that they are busy and th- th- there are demands at work, but when when busyness somehow becomes the the buzzword, right? Yeah, uh, and every excuse for anything, right? So they're busy, so they're not able to spend time with the kids. They're busy, they're not able to come to church. They're busy, they're not able to come to a small group. They're busy, they're not able to spend time with the wife uh, or husband. Uh, what does that communicate to you? A busy life?
2: Yeah. Um, wow, that's a really important this is one of the, probably the most important question i think for our generation because i think being concerned i i would know like in my 20s like it was my favorite thing to tell people that i was busy you know like i think because there's some aspect of worth and value you find in your busyness um and that's one i think some people just like those guys that work 12 hour days like you know time is you know like uh and i'll and I, i'll speak to them in a second but i think Generally, if we're always telling people we're busy, we should just be mindful of where we're actually trying to seek our worth and value, right? Like I think rest in the Bible, like God did not just on the Sabbath stop because he needed a nap, right? Like it's not like he did all these works. He's like, okay, I did a lot. I need to just take a break. No, it was a purposeful stop because he was showing us that part of creation is enjoying creation you know part of doing the act of work is learning to enjoy the fruit of work you know to to look and to see that it's very good so the truth is like now now outside of work hours i'm not that busy you know during my work hours i'm busy i'm meeting my teammates i'm working on content i'm on strategy meetings i'm being pulled into podcasts but outside of work i'm not that you know i'm not that busy i go to the gym i play video games with my wife i play with my dog I read the Bible, I read a book about theology and culture, I watch anime, you know, I I get dinner two or three times a week with good friends, and it's a full life, like, I think. Now, I know there are some people who work 10 to 12-hour jobs, and they can't do anything about it right now. Like, my advice is if you can negotiate those hours down without losing your pay, then, you know, you should do it. But more often than not, you can't. And so I think in that situation, I think we need to make full use of whatever break time we get. That's one. I think make sure we're getting plenty of sleep. Because I think the temptation in those types of jobs is to overcompensate. So you're, you stay up until 1 or 2 in the morning. Um, and that's an issue, right? Like, we start to lose sleep. Um, we're operating on, like, five, six hours of sleep a day. Like, I think we need to, like, really focus on getting healthy meals and enough sleep. And then your weekend is yours. Like, let Saturday be whatever you want to do. Sunday, I think, should be a little bit more community-oriented. Like, if that's the day you have service, then budget that time for community, right? But honestly, a 10- to 12-hour job is not sustainable in the long run. Like, like I, I think I started looking for opportunities to move out of that when I got a chance. Um, but, I mean, for a while, I had to do that. But it is... Uh, it's, uh, it is the reality. I can offer one other piece of unsolicited advice that nobody was asking for. Like another practice that like I really I've been really trying to get into is the discipline of closing work at the end of the day. you know So at the end of the day, I'm learning to say, okay God, thank you for the work I did do. That's because of you. I repent for the ways I procrastinated and wasted my time and I'm releasing whatever work I didn't do until tomorrow. And I trust you, you know, if, if my boss calls me and gives me an earful, I trust you, you'll see me through that. But I'm going to release my day to you. And I'd love to see more people learn how to close the work day and just release work to God. Because I think that's what reveals trust, right? You're trusting God with your work. You're trusting him to say, I'm done with work. And whatever happens is in your hands, you know. So I think that's a... It's another practice I think would be awesome to see.
0: Absolutely. I, I love what you said, right? And I think in some ways that also shows that we have other work to do. It is not just the work uh, that we do uh, in the marketplace, but there's other work, work of friendship, work of uh, serving God, work of uh, marriage and parenting, all those kinds of things. And that takes priority too, right? So, and I also love this uh, idea of finishing the day, but also finishing the week right every week when we finish mm-hmm. the week and that's part of sabbath sabbath is saying yep. hey the work is done for the week and now i want to rejoice in my mm-hmm. creator my savior so uh so it is the rhythms that god has given us in those aspects mm-hmm. right that's wonderful i think uh, it's very practical too yeah all right, right. my my last question for you uh, we're going to wrap up my last question is uh, we always want to know what the church can do for professionals right we always want to know uh, how can the church build community for professionals how can the church be more effective with professionals but well, i'm not going to ask that question uh, i'm going to ask you uh how can professionals actually impact the church well, how do you think <laughs> professionals can actually come alongside uh the church and be a blessing and uh, uh be part of the strategy of the gospel and the mission what do, what do you think yeah, I think one,
2: like three things right off the bat, you know, like, and I mean, I'll, I'll end up speaking to pastors and leaders as well. But I think just three things right off the bat is like, know that your calling and your giftings are being cultivated, not just for your workplace, right? Like your creativity and all that's being cultivated for the whole of life, right? And your church community, your community is part of your calling just as much as your workplace is part of your calling, just as much as your household is part of your calling, you were designed to live a whole life. Um, And so like all these skills that you learn in one place transfers into another. So like it is, um, you know, whatever we're cultivating at work um, is meant for the community. So the first question is like within reason, like how can I serve in my community using the gifts i cultivated at work? and, you know, that's that's one question that you can be asking. The second is be willing to share your work testimony. I love, like, a work test, and, I, and this goes to pastors, too. I, I, I think one of the best things to do once a month, you know, on the pulpit, get someone up there to share their story. Ask four or five simple questions. What do you do for work? What do you find good about your work? What do you find challenging? How do you think God is moving in your workplace? How can we pray for you? Simple. That's it. And I think when you start sharing workplace testimonies or work testimonies, it creates culture in the church. So I think both as professionals, we should be willing to talk about work and willing to talk about what we think God is doing in our workplace. And as pastors, we need to invite those conversations. And then the third thing I'd say is, you know, within reason, like I know some people work in corporate offices, like invite your leaders into your workplace, You know, wherever appropriate, like, especially if you work in cafes, if you work in studios, if you work in, like, an art studio or something like that or an art gallery, like, invite people into your workplace, um, you know, at corporate parties, whatever, wherever and wherever appropriate. Like, you can invite your leaders into that space so they can see your life outside of church. So you want to integrate life as much as possible, right? That would probably be... uh, the most practical thing i can think of
0: yeah absolutely thank you uh, thank you adi for uh, this episode we really appreciate uh, all your thoughts and uh, uh, ideas uh, you do the faith and work um uh, uh, the training and the course you want to just quickly mention what that is and where people can uh, find more information on that
2: yeah um so the faith and work course is um like an eight-module course. So we have different variations of it. There's a small group course, and then there's an eight-week online immersion. Um, and we really get in-depth into topics like spiritual disciplines, ethics, workplace relationships, process, and operations. And we really get into the nitty-gritties of how we could shape a full theology and practice of work. Um, and I think if you want to get in touch with me... Um, I think the best way would be through you guys at Delhi School. Like maybe like if they can reach out to you or Ranjit or uh, to you, Arvind. Like you can always like get in touch with me. Um, but yeah, I'd be happy to talk to you, talk to anyone more about it. Um, and there are awesome other resources as well. Like that you know, like I love the Theology of Work website. I Think it's a great resource. So you know, like I think there more and more people are thinking about faith and work. That I'm getting more and more excited about. Any any book that you would recommend for people? One book, I mean there are two. Uh, I think obviously every good endeavor is sort of has been the go-to, and that's Tim Keller, uh, because I, you know. But I think one book that I've been kind of it's on my mind is uh, uh, it's a children's book, but I think it's awesome, and it's called The Creator in You by Jordan Rader. And it takes the gospel as story and the gospel for work and puts it with beautiful illustrations. Beautiful, it's a great book to read with your kids. It's like faith and work for kids, but it will bless you as well. And Jordan Rainer has some awesome books also on a lot like uh, call to create. That's also really awesome. Andy Crouch, culture making, has been a formative book in my life. Um, so yeah, there's a uh, but I I would pick up Creator in You. Like I just saw it, it just. Like it's a children's book, but I, I swear it will change your life. Like, it's so beautifully written,
0: you know. Yeah, let's not uh, swear on the podcast, but uh, uh... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but good, Arvind. Any any final uh, thoughts? Anything you want to share before we wrap up?
1: Yeah, I I just can't uh, help but just thinking about the, the gospel again and going back to the gospel. How Christ. You know, renews us mm. and transforms us. He cleanses us, forgives us, and 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 sets us on a, a different kind of path. That is, um, yeah, just just moving into the the original plan of of God for for creation and even so much more. And so, yeah, thank you, Addie. This has been really, really helpful yeah. in
0: um, yeah thinking through faith and work. Yeah, thank you, Adi. Thank you, Arvind. Uh, Thank you to all our listeners who've uh, joined us. Uh, We uh, enjoy bringing this to you and I hope it's a, a blessing to you. We'll see you in the next episode.